being called from poverty to something potentially better. He was being called from a probably a pretty successful kind of environment. But God, can you imagine, regardless, can you imagine getting that call? And the, and the call comes to you quite clearly. It, it, it says from God, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you're familiar with. Leave your homeland, leave your family, leave your extended family, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. I wonder, we get some hints later on that maybe Abraham had some questions. As far as the text is concerned here, we don't read any of those questions, but uh, we, we, we know Abraham being a human being, he had these questions, and, and one of them had to have been, okay, let me get this straight. What? You, you, you want me to do what? You want me to go more specifically, where, where do you want me to go? God doesn't answer that question, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't answer where I'm taking you. He, he simply says, I want you to go. I want you to leave into a land that I will show you. That's a pretty important phrase, important phrase at the end of verse 1. To the land that I will show you. Of course, we know you go on down below and you read farther on and God shows Abraham what that land is. But initially, the call apparently didn't include those details. I want you to go to a land, an unspecified land. Just trust me was the underlying emphasis here. Abraham, just trust me that I will take you where I want you to go. And when I take you where I want you to go, I will take care of you on the journey. I can't even imagine how difficult that would have been. If you look down in the following paragraph, verses 4 through 9, which we're not going to study very closely at all this morning, but I do want you to at least know what happens right after this. In verses 4 and following, very important phrase at the beginning of verse 4, probably should have included this in our reading today. But verse 4 says, so Abram, what does your Bible say? He went. That's the important part of the story. Verses 1 through 3, God says, go. Verse 4 Abram got up and he left. He went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they sent out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. These are, there are clues in the text here that suggest you know, this land, when it says there were Canaanites in the land, well, Canaan, I don't know what that brings to your mind, but in their mind, when they heard this story originally, they would have understood what that meant. Canaanites were pagans. They were people who did not believe in God. They, they didn't care about God. They worshipped all these various gods that had them do just atrocious things, all these awful things, child sacrifice and, and various sorts of sexual kinds of sins in the presence of their gods. And so that's what it means when it says there were Canaanites. In those days, there were Canaanites in the land. That's this kind of not-so-subtle, in their mind, their, their not-so-subtle way of saying, this is a pagan environment Abraham is going into. But notice what Abraham does. By the way, the Oak of Moor, for example, those are places where the Canaanites would set up their shrines and they would worship their false gods. The people who heard this originally, they knew that. The Oak of Mora, well, that's where they worship these false gods. The Canaanites in the land. Verse 7, the Lord said to Abram, To your offspring I will give this land. Look what Abram did. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
From there he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he, there he built an altar to, to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And he journeyed on still going toward the Negev, which is in the south. And so basically he has traversed the land from the northern section all the way to the southern section and he has planted these signposts along the way and those signposts were I am going to worship God here at Shechem and I am going to worship God here at Ai and I am going to worship God here at Bethel. These signposts, these monuments as they were, monuments to the God who had called him. Abraham knows God has called me to be here so that I might, did you, did you pick up on that, le, that, that language in the first part of the chapter? That you might be a blessing. So as Abram goes to this land, this pagan land where these Canaanite people live, these people who did not know God, he stops Shechem and he erects this altar. And he goes to Ai and he puts up this place of worship. And he goes to Bethel and he puts up this place of worship and the whole point of this is Abram understands he is called to go to this land not just to live there but that other people might see God living in him now think with me for a second think about Israel we'll get to ourselves in a minute we'll, we'll think about how this text relates to us but, but for a minute think about how, think about how they would have heard this by the way, one more geographical note that's pretty important. That place, Babel, where they tried to build the tower, where they did build the tower and tried to make a name for themselves, that's somewhere in the vicinity where Abram was from. Ur of the Chaldees, Chaldeans, or Babylonians, that's that same area. Modern day Iraq, Ur of the Chaldees, that same area where they tried to build this tower. Also this, it is the land, well, fast forward in your mind, Several hundred years, long time ahead. You remember when God's people, they've lived in the land of Canaan for generations now, but they've become rebellious, and God says, if you don't come back to me, I'm going to send you into exile, and I'm going to send you into exile. Do you remember where he sent them? He sent them to the land of Babylon, right? To the land of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, Tigris-Euphrates River, right in that area. That's where ancient... Babylon was, the Babylonian people, powerful empire at that time. God sent his people into exile in Babylon. That's where Abram came from. Just, just to make sure you're with me, Ur of the Chaldees, that is where they built the table, not the table, the tower of Babel in Genesis 11. That's where they built it, all right? Really try to make a name for themselves. God chose that particular area to choose an unknown guy, a nomad, Abraham, and says, I'm going to make your name great. It's not going to be by building towers. All right, so same area. And then hundreds of years later, God's people, after having been given this land that God is promising Abraham today, they lived there for a long time, but they didn't obey God. So God said, I'm going to take you back where you came from, back to Ur, essentially back to Babylon. So you got these geographical ties. So, so a couple things, a couple quick things here about thinking about, thinking about how this... Uh, maybe spoke to them. Imagine if you are an Israelite. You're a, I don't know, you're a son or daughter of Benjamin, a descendant of Benjamin, or Judah, or Levi, one of them. You're right there on the cusp of going into the land of Canaan. 
you have spent a lot of time in the wilderness because your parents didn't believe God's promise and God pushed them back into the wilderness and that generation died out. But now you're there in the plains of Moab. You're overlooking the land of Canaan and you hear this story about the promise that God made to your great, 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 a whole bunch of greats, grandfather, Abraham. And you, you hear this story being told to you and that story is this is the promise God made that he is going to give Abraham, he's going to make of him this great nation and he is going to give him this land. And you're standing there looking at the land of Canaan and you hear this story read to you, told once again. And that story is God is a God who makes promises. And one of his greatest promises is I'm going to give you this land. And then under the leadership of Joshua, you go in and take the land that God gave you. If you fast forward a few hundred years later, quite a few hundred years later, and you are a descendant of Abraham many, many, many generations later, and you're living a life in Babylon. You don't want to be in Babylon. This isn't your homeland. And you wonder if you're ever going to get to go back home again. And you hear this story being told, and that story is God took a no-name person like Abraham and he took him out of Babylon and he brought him to the land of Canaan. And the way you hear this story then might be something like this. If God could do it with Abraham, he can do it with us who are in exile. He can bring us back home again. And that's exactly what God did. God brought Abraham's descendants back from Ur, Babylon, back to the land of Canaan one more time. He brought them back. God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. You know, think about this for a minute. Abraham got this call. This, this story is used a lot in the New Testament, by the way. In fact, this is a story that's used, Steve read from Hebrews 11 this morning. Hebrews 11. The writer of Hebrews uses a lot of Old Testament characters as lessons for us, and one of them is the great man Abraham, and he, he seizes on this particular moment, and he says, just as Abraham heard the call of God, and he went, not knowing where he was going, so God calls upon us to be people of faith. And I suppose there's a lesson for us there, isn't there? That lesson, I don't know, you look at, let me hold that thought just for a second, because look, look in Genesis 11. It talks about Abram and Sarah, Tira's daughter-in-law. And then it says in our, in our text, when we look in Genesis 12, it tells us about Sarah's being barren before the Lord. You read on in our, in our text, Sarah has not been able to have children. Abraham and Sarah can't have any children. You know, it's just an amazing thing that God looked, I don't know, God looked all over the world and he picked nobody. I mean, he picked Abraham. And Sarah, mid-70s, don't have any kids. He said, I'm, I want to take you to the land of Canaan. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I mean, we, we think about, why did God pick them? Why did God pick them? You ever wondered that? Why did he pick them? Why did he choose them from way over there, this pagan kind of environment? Why did he pick Abraham and Sarah? Why didn't he pick somebody who, who, who could have kids? Why did God choose to do it that way? And I think maybe the answer to that, we, we might know this because we've read the whole Bible, but maybe the answer to that is God's, God's in the habit of taking seemingly impossible situations and making them possible. That's the kind of God we serve. 
And so I'm wondering, some of you sitting here, some of us in this room right now, maybe nobody else knows it but you, maybe you and those just really close to you, but some people sitting in this room today are in some pretty dire situations. Maybe you think, man, this is hopeless. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I've gotten myself into a mess, or somebody else has gotten me in a mess, or somebody I love's in a mess, or I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I hope you hear this story in a way that, just like it would have brought comfort and hope to the people standing in Moab looking to the land of, can we take this land? Can we take this land? God said you could. Maybe, maybe we hear it like them. Or maybe we hear it like the exiles in Babylon hundreds of years later. They're there and they're wondering, are we ever going to get to go back home again? And maybe we would hear the story like them, and that is God is in the business of making impossible things possible. God's in the business of taking people from Babylon to Canaan. God's been doing it over and over and over again. It may be that your marriage... Maybe a significant, another significant relationship. Maybe in our parenting. Maybe in our job. Maybe it's in our own sin struggles. We've gotten to a point in this or this situation where this just from our perspective seems completely hopeless. What in the world? I hope you'll hear this story giving some comfort and hope. And breathing some new life into your desperate situation. God's still bringing people out of Babylon and taking them to Canaan. He's still making the impossible to be possible. Because that's the kind of God we serve. You know how this story goes on. We'll study in coming weeks. We'll study segments of it in this series. But you, you know some of those. You know that Sarah's not going to remain barren, right? You've read... You know, that, you know how the story goes. Lots of time passes. In fact, more than, you know, a couple of decades pass, more than that. And Sarah still hasn't have any, had any kids. But God's not done with them yet. God doesn't work. God doesn't just work in the situations that seem favorable. It seems he takes extra delight from taking those dead situations and breathing life into them, from taking those hopeless situations and making hopeful ones out of them. That's the kind of God that we serve. Do you know another component here that's kind of embedded in the text, kind of implied here and expounded on elsewhere like Hebrews 11, and that is you know how God calls us? Sometimes God doesn't give us all the answers. He doesn't say, this is how it's going to work out. These are how, this is how the dots are going to connect. I'm going to take you here. I'm going to do this for a while, then I'm going to take you there, I'm going to do this, and then there, and this is how your life's going to go, dot after dot after dot, just connect them, you know, everything's okay. God doesn't do that. I think it has something to do with faith. I think it has something to do with what God likes to do in us, is to create this kind of dependence on Him that's characterized by faith, where we don't, we don't, we're not self-sufficient, we know that we cannot do it on our own. And so we develop a relationship with God that's characterized by trust and faith. Just as Abraham, he got up, verse 4 says, he got up and went. Just as Abraham would learn. He, no, he, he didn't do it perfectly. Abraham had all sorts of problems. I think that's why God picked him. But Abraham learned over the course of time that when God says do something, even if God doesn't tell you all the whys and the hows and all the particulars of it, just, just do it. 
And I wonder if maybe that speaks to any of us today who are in situations where we feel the calling of God or we sense that God is leading us in a direction that maybe we don't, don't really want to go, but maybe it's because we don't know how it's not going to work out, but we know clearly that this is the will of God for us, but we want to know more particulars. Maybe the story of Abraham speaks to us in that way, that God is calling us to leave Ur and go to Canaan, as it were. He's calling us to obey him, not knowing where he's taking us. Isn't that what faith is? Isn't that how Hebrews 11 pictures it over and over? Isn't that how the Bible portrays faith? Faith is a journey where we trust the one who's leading us. Now here's something else I want you to know in our text. Way back in Genesis 3, you got this story that begins. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. They were cast out of the garden. But, but prior to that, God spoke to the serpent. And he said, the seed of this woman whom you've deceived, this descendant of this woman is going to bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. This was this promise of what God is doing in the world, that God is going to do something to undo the bad things that we've done. God's going to fix this broken world. He's going to, he's going to do something huge in the world. And we follow that line on. We follow Eve to her children. Cain and Abel, and Cain murders his brother Abel. But God raises up another son whose name is Seth. We follow Seth on down, and we, Seth, we follow Seth to a time when the world gets really bad, and God purges the earth of its wickedness with the flood in Genesis 6. And after that flood, God raises up Noah and his son Shem, in fact, if you were to look just a couple chapters before ours, you would see the lineage of Shem given. Shem was the father of Arphaxad or someone. It goes on. Who's the father of Terah? Who's the father of Abraham? God says, Abraham, I'm going to do something big in you. I'm going to, I'm going to do something big through you, through your descendants, Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make of you a great nation, but but I think the focal point of our text is we look beyond the immediate text in Genesis 12 to that last statement, and that is, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham, later Isaac, later Jacob, later Judah, later David, later Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. That's why Matthew 1 starts out with these words. The genealogy of Jesus Remember when it's telling us about the genealogy of Jesus, it says, son of Abraham, son of David. And then it goes on and it tells us this great genealogy leading us to Jesus Christ. What we've got in the story of, of, of Abraham is God focuses attention on Abraham, but it's a view toward what God is going to do through his great descendant of Jesus Christ. And so Paul would say in Galatians 3, the apostle Paul would say this, you and I, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we are the sons and daughters of Abraham. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Not just physical descendants of Abraham, not just Jews, but all families of the earth will be blessed. I want to close in Revelation 7 and verse 9. I want to read you one verse here. If you want to turn there and look at it or just let me read it to you. There's this all nations emphasis in the Bible. 
It's all nations' emphasis. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I wish we had time to trace that expression throughout the Old Testament. You remember this one? Let me just give you one. In the New Testament, Matthew 28, Jesus gathers his disciples on that little hill outside of Jerusalem right before he ascends up to heaven to his Father, and he says, Go ye therefore and teach. Remember what he says? Go therefore and teach all nations. God's promise through Abraham was that he's not a tribal deity. He's not a local deity. God is the God of the world. He's the God of all the nations, of all the ethnicities, all the people groups, all the languages. And that's why when we get to the end of the story in Revelation 7, we see this emphasis. Listen to Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, John, seeing this great vision, he says, after, th after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That gives me a little bit of a chill. When I read that, can you imagine? I'm glad we have people of different ethnicities in this building. We worship together. It's going to be like that, except better when we get there, when we get to be with God. All the nations. In, in, in some ways, folks, in some ways, that all nations thing, that is the message of the entire scripture is that God is a God of the world. He is a God who, who loves everybody, that when we get to heaven, when we get to this eternal place where we get to be with God in this you know, unfettered access, not bound by our sinfulness, not with, with no barriers there, no barriers of, of our, our superficiality, of our, of our biases and prejudices, we, we will get to be with God and, and all of his people and all of his people groups and, and people who are different and different backgrounds, don't look like us, don't talk like us, but yet we'll be there with him and all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations. God is a God of all the nations. And so our calling today, church, our calling is to keep the message going. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's just as true of the church today as it was of Abraham that God has called his church to be a blessing to all the nations. We are to, isn't, that, isn't that what we read in the New Testament? Greatest obstacle they faced was how do we get people of different cultural backgrounds to be together in one church without arguing with one another? His message is, that's what I've been telling you about for thousands of years. This is who I am. And this is what the church is supposed to be, a church that's a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so our commission, our call, is for us to represent that in our communities, for us to say to the world, to say to our communities, we want to be used by God to be a blessing to all the families, to all the nations. God's calling us to that. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you're not a descendant of Abraham, to use that illustration, if you're not a descendant of Abraham through Jesus Christ, 
then one of the reasons we're here today is to give you that opportunity to put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. He's the God of all the nations. And it doesn't matter where you come from, where you've been, what you've done. God is your God, and He wants to be your Savior. If you put your faith, your hope, your trust, your obedience in Him, if you'll just answer the call today, where He says to you, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Call of Jesus comes to your ears today, this morning. Put your faith in Him. Demonstrate that faith in baptism as you have all your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, fulfilling the promise that He made to Abraham a long time ago, and that is that all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's how it's blessed, is when God saves us by His grace. We invite you today to hear the call of Jesus Christ. If you need to come back to Him today, if you need to come back to Him because your life has not reflected that of a Jesus follower, why don't you make things right with Him today? And let us pray with you. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to respond, 